In today's episode of The Friday Fix, print journalism is doing so well at adapting to the current situation, but the truth is that moving from a print model to a digital-only model comes with serious challenges. Hello everyone, I'm Georgia Way, a consultant in Powers Court 360. Our studio guest today made a name for herself at The Sun and The Telegraph as an astute political commentator before moving away from print journalism. As a broadcaster, she has appeared on Question Time, Any Questions and numerous paper reviews and last year was appointed political correspondent at GB News. Welcome, Olivia Utley. Hello. Let's jump right in. What made you leave The Telegraph, an established national newspaper, to go to a broadcaster founded less than two years ago? <laughs> yeah, very good question. I've always really liked broadcast journalism. I feel very lucky to have started off in exciting nationals but my real love has always been broadcast and since I started my career really I've been trying to do as much on the side as possible and it just feels like quite an exciting space to be at the moment. Print journalism is doing so well at adapting to the you know, current situation, but the truth is that moving from a print model to a digital only model comes with serious challenges and to me it felt like there's more of an exciting future in TV journalism, which ever since the advent of 24-hour news, it just seems to be building strength to strength all the time. Is that something that you observed then when you were actually in, in newspapers? Yeah, it's been a really tough time for the last sort of... 15 years for print journalism really and sort of retrofitting it into an online model has come with lots of challenges and I mean for example when I was at the Telegraph and the Sun at the beginning they had separate teams for print and online because actually the the offering is very different people who are searching for news online want plenty of content ready for them all the time whereas people who have gone out and spent their money to buy a newspaper want very high quality, very thought through, heavily edited content. And so we had a situation at the Sun where you'd have a news team for online, news team for print, that would get a tip off about something. The print news team would look into the tip off and discover that it was actually sort of fake news because they had the time and the resources to do that. Mm. The online team would just think, great, good story, and write it up and then get in trouble for it from the from the regulators of print journalism. And it turned out that someone sitting, you know, three desks away knew, knew that, that it wasn't a accurate story. Anyway, it's all those sort of challenges that are facing print media and I think the industry is doing a fantastic job of overcoming them but it is quite a difficult place to be at the moment and I just thought at the same time that it feels as though there's a lot of energy in TV news at the moment so it's quite exciting. Yeah, that's really exciting. When you're talking about new TV, like GB News and I suppose Talk TV as well, um, people were very sceptical when these launched. GB News was seen as a bit chaotic, maybe. But my question would be, do you think people underestimate GP News? Because before Christmas, it was averaging more primetime viewers than Sky. Yeah, absolutely. I think people do underestimate it. I mean, no doubt we're all very open about the fact it was a pretty, pretty difficult start. Some of the challenges that were typical of startups uh, technology just wasn't quite in place and you know there was too much too much excitement people wanting to get the ball rolling before they <laughs> were quite exciting. quite yeah. ready uh <laughs> exactly and there's been a at the very beginning there was quite a lot of shifting around of teams etc but as gb news has been finding its feet it's built this very loyal and growing viewership and quite a lot of them interestingly are people who 
haven't really tuned into 24-hour news before. So it's reaching whole new audiences, which I think is, is quite exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that we've observed about GB News is that it it performs incredibly well on social media. It's got 507,000 followers on Twitter, which is far more than other news channels. Do you think there's a push towards social media? And is that online viewership just as important as the live viewership? Yeah, definitely. The other other place where we're very big is YouTube. And um, there are plenty of people who watch GB News sort of exclusively on YouTube. And I think because it is a startup, Obviously, that's come with big challenges, but it's come with big opportunities as well, because whereas the old outfits, as I say, are sort of retrofitting their business model into a digital world, GB News has started from the beginning. So the the strategy for for daytime linear broadcasting was devised at the same time as the strategy for Twitter and for the website and for YouTube as well. So we've invested quite a lot of money and experience into getting the right people for those really key roles in in YouTube, head of Twitter, head of online content is the man who recently transformed the Express online. Mm. I think that that GB News has done a really good job of that and has sort of seen the importance of, of building that social media audience before some of the some of the major TV networks. With some of these older outfits, it's just not written into their DNA. Yeah, yeah. I do think that's the future of all broadcast journalism then, is, is YouTube the way to go? I think to some extent, yes. Linear TV obviously is losing popularity. We know that, you know, every time there's another review of how the BBC's doing, the consensus is that younger people particularly are just moving further and further away from it like even when we were growing up you know we would sit down and and watch there'd be a program that everyone was talking about at at school and you'd be looking forward to the next episode that just doesn't really happen anymore generation z or whatever um don't watch linear tv in the same way so i think that yeah youtube or platforms like it maybe whatever comes next is going to be a really really big part of any successful future broadcaster i think you're right about the way that we grew up with those types of broadcast journalism The other thing that occurred to me was that we grew up with broadcasters that don't express a political view of their own. I wondered whether you felt that that was an advantage for GB News, that it it expresses views much more openly than you would see, well, certainly than than the BBC or anything really comparable. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So the way GB News works is um, a correspondent like me, the reporters and correspondents are actually regulated by Ofcom rules. So in my job as a political correspondent, I am not allowed to come out with my own opinions on anything. But obviously our presenters have leeway to express their own opinions Mm. and I think that yeah I think that is a bit of a selling point for GB News but I think the main thing for me is that the idea behind GB News was that basically in 35 years the TV news world hasn't been shaken up at all 35 years ago Sky started and that was a huge you know ripping up creative force in the TV industry. It ruffled a lot of feathers, created a lot of problems. But now it's become part of the sort of establishment media. And so you've got these channels, Sky and the BBC, which are fantastic and really good at what they do. And they're not allowed to express political opinions. But some of those biases and some of those opinions sort of get baked into the culture of the place. The BBC is, yes, politically neutral. But if you work in the industry, you can see what the opinions of the editors are by the way that the news is reported. And the audience notices as well. And the audience notices as well. I mean, Question Time, when I did it the other day, there was not a single person in the Question Time audience, which, remember, is supposed to be balanced, um, that agreed with... uh, It was during the Lady Susan Hussey time, and it was a question about 
you know, do you feel at all sorry for her? No one agreed with it. And I don't think that was particularly representative of the country at, at large. It was just representative of the people who turn up to question time. I think it suggests that there is a bit of political bias embedded deeply in it. And, you know, that's, I think that's unavoidable. It's not the fault of the BBC. It's just uh, something that happens when, when there is no newcomers to the industry. And what sorts of guests are presenters and producers looking for? Do you think there's an ideal archetypal GB News guest? Oh, good question. No, I mean, obviously, we're, we're very reactive to the news. So my friends who are guest bookers are always looking for new people, different voices. We try not to get on the same people all the time. That's that's really important to us because, you know, with 24-hour news, there's a lot of time to fill. And what that's good for is getting proper background, getting into the nitty-gritty of a story and looking into the history of it. So for that, we need sort of proper experts. As I say, sort of a range of voices. Obviously, plenty of our presenters skew to the right of centre, but they want those views to be sort of robustly challenged on air. So I think there's a there, there's sometimes a bit of a misconception that GB News would only have right-wing pundits on, but actually what we're always looking for is people to give the opposite side of the story, to get a, a robust debate going, because that's what I think makes us sort of different and interesting. And speaking of robust debate then, for several years I suppose it's been expected that journalists and especially commentators have a presence on social media and you've earned your legendary blue tick. (laughs) Do you think that it's important for journalists to be on social media and is there also a dark side to it? I think it it is quite important for journalists to be on social media. I think that, well, unfortunately in some ways, it's very useful for news gathering, especially when you're looking for, you know, for example, I'm making a package tomorrow about the the baby bust in this country that... we're not producing enough babies essentially to keep our population going and to keep our pensioners supported and I was trying to find a a woman who had decided not to have children to to get that side of the story and you know Twitter was the first place I went and sure enough I found someone and Mm. she seems great and I'm interviewing her tomorrow so it's really really useful um, stuff like that and uh, for, for speed I mean you know traditionally journalists get their stories either from first hand or else from the wires from Reuters PA etc and these days Twitter has the news just as quickly so if you're not in the room where it's happening for whatever reason if you're in the studio reporting on something which is happening in Westminster Twitter is often your best place to look so it's a very useful tool but there is certainly a dark side to it as well mm. obviously Twitter has a really bizarre culture of this kind of pylon behavior and the worst of the worst come out on Twitter and sometimes when you're on the receiving end of a pylon it can be sort of difficult to to remember that a lot of the people who are abusing you aren't even people there are a lot of bots on Twitter Mm. we know that and a lot of them just really nasty people who spend their whole time just insulting strangers on social media but it can sort of grind you down definitely and I think particularly female journalists struggle with that. So you started your job during one of the most turbulent political periods in recent memory wasn't it just as Liz Truss became PM? <laughs> it was actually the week that Liz Truss resigned. Right. Yes. Um, and it was quite funny because I, I, I'd been offered the job in the summer and I had a three-month notice period at the Telegraph, so I wasn't starting until the autumn. And I was really disappointed that I was missing all the drama because <laughs> <laughs> Boris Johnson was all in my three-month notice period. We had Boris Johnson saying he was going to resign, Boris Johnson resigning, that really dramatic leadership contest, um, and then the election of Liz Truss, who seemed to be a very exciting, radical kind of politician, and the mini-budget. All of that I was missing. And then I started, mm. and the Prime Minister <laughs> resigned in a record amount of time. So it was a 
Well, it was a baptism of fire, but I think that's quite a good way to do it. Yeah, I mean, talk about being thrown in at the deep end. And then what's your verdict on those past six months or so? Do you think we're seeing the last gasp of the Conservative Party's time in office? I, I hate making <laughs> serious predictions as a political correspondent because they always come back to bite you. Um, but I think it's safe to say that there aren't many people I speak to from Westminster who think that the Tories are going to you know, soar through the next election. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a certain sort of tiredness at the end of a long period in office. The Tories have been in power for 13 years and I think all the turbulence of the last couple of years haven't done wonders to the Conservatives' reputation. And I think at the same time, Labour has been building, you know, in the last few weeks we've had really radical reforming speeches from pretty much every shadow cabinet minister and there do seem to be quite a lot of ideas there we've had Mm. you know jonathan ashworth on ripping up the way the welfare system works bridget phillips on offering really bold ideas for childcare. um where's streeting of course on the nhs really big bold ideas certainly not fully costed yet and there are lots of issues and I think we'll get more into the granularity of that as we come up to the election but there is there is certainly a feeling among those in Westminster that it, it does feel as though the momentum and the ideas are with Labour at the moment but again we're, we're a year and a half out from an election there are a lot of questions for Labour anything could happen anything could happen indeed <laughs> uh, speaking of have you had any particularly memorable meetings or run-ins with some of those politicians that we see on our screens every day <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh because I'm not being very indiscreet yeah. <laughs> anything repeatable <laughs> um but I'm constantly surprised at um how uncertain politicians are at doing broadcast and I think that sometimes you know you you watch politicians standing up in the commons making speeches and they seem like fantastic public speakers but I've interviewed a lot of senior politicians and the amount of times that you have to sort of restart the interview because they've fluffed up a line or can't quite remember what they were saying or they need something whispered in their ear by their aide or whatever um, and then I was interviewing a load of school children the other day and I thought God, they're much more fluent than politicians. So I think that's the thing which has surprised me most. Yeah. And finally, question from the Power Scott floor. Who is the most fun presenter at GB News? Ooh, um, Michael Portillo is good fun, as you might guess from his trousers. (laughs) Um, Alistair Stewart's fun too. And Patrick Christie's is... God, he, he just tries to make me laugh just before we go on air every single time and quite often succeeds so I'm there biting back giggles while explaining some depressing story so yeah he's good fun great well thank you so much for joining me in the pod thank you very much for having me no absolute pleasure and uh, good luck with your continued broadcast career thank you very much (laughs) 